The following presentation was recorded at the Newbury Buddhist Monastery, Victoria, Australia. Please visit our website at nbm.org.au. Good evening and welcome to the Buddha Society of Victoria Monday Meditation Evening, uh, which is being live, uh, live streamed from a Newbury Buddhist Monastery. <clears throat> and my name is Ajahn Nisarano, some of you will know me. For those who don't know me, I am an Australian monk who ordained with Ajahn Brahm 23 years ago. And for the last 14 years, I have been living in Sri Lanka, and eight years of those I lived in a cave, which was quite an experience. But of course now, I cannot go back to Sri Lanka for, for a time anyway. So welcome to this uh, Monday night meditation. And if you have any questions, please, uh, or comments or complaints, please uh, write them in the YouTube live chat. That's the column on the side of the uh, live streaming. And also, and we can deal with those towards the end of the uh, meditation. So the format for this evening, as usual, will be an introduction, about 15, 20 minutes, and then the actual guided meditation, and then questions, comments, and complaints, and that will be the last section. Um, and the so that's the, the format for this evening. And I'd like to just introduce the theme for this evening uh, by talking, talk, give a little bit of an introduction about that. Yesterday, for those who um, may not have seen it, we held a virtual robe offering ceremony. Sometimes it's called a katina, which is, marks the end of the rains retreat. And it was uh, live streamed through Zoom and YouTube. So if you didn't see that, you're welcome to check it out on the BSV YouTube channel. Uh, hopefully, we won't, the monks and nuns here, won't be wearing virtual robes. <laughs> it could be quite interesting. It reminded me of the Emperor's New Clothes, if you know that children's story by Hans Christian Andersen. So in that ceremony, I emphasized that uh, we could call this opportunity, this uh, robe offering ceremony, or katina, Really, we could call it the Buddhist Community Day because it's a, it, it, it celebrates, it brings together the community, the whole of the Buddhist community, the monks, the nuns, the laymen and the laywomen. And of course, we are very blessed here in uh, Newbury because it's very rare we have fully ordained nuns. That's quite unusual. And every, the, the point of this is that every section of this community is vital. And the Buddha emphasized that there is an interdependence uh, between the various sections. So it's very much, uh, you know, these cere this ceremony is a celebration of giving. We call this dana. And this is the giving by the lay community of material, the material necessities of life. And of course, most people know that's food, robes, uh, shelter, and medicine. And actually, that's what every the basic necessities for everyone clothing food shelter and medicines but it's also the sangha is giving the teaching spiritual support and guidance so it's like this mutual interdependence that the buddha um, spoke about 
But it's also a celebration of gratitude or thankfulness. And this is what the Buddha called kat- katanyuta. And the lay community, of course, they can be grateful for the teachings they receive, the inspiration, guidance in practicing the path, and, and personal advice. And of course, the Sangha can be grateful for the material support we have received. And yesterday I was mentioning in particular how grateful we are for the uh, that Newbury Monastery um, was established, has been established. And particularly too for the new monk section that was opened in May. So this was the first rains retreat, the annual meditation retreat uh, in those huts. And so this was... This has been a very suitable and comfortable place for the monks to practice. So, having talked about giving and gratitude, which will it be tonight? What's the theme? <laughs> and of course, uh, I think I'll focus on gratitude. Giving is wonderful too, but gratitude is an important um, emotion, uh, spiritual emotion to develop. And gratitude is this thankfulness, isn't it? And it's not only... Um, to be developed in the meditation, just as metta or loving-kindness is not only developed in the meditation, it's to be developed in our lives too. And whatever we develop in meditation, we can take into our daily lives. And so we can take more peace into our daily life, we can take more joy, loving-kindness, friendliness, inspiration, um, and particularly, you know, understanding, understanding ourselves and understanding others, because if we understand ourselves and others, we can accept ourselves and others as they are. So it's when we uh, develop gratitude or any of these other positive spiritual emotions, we're reconditioning the mind, we're creating new habits or tendencies, and at the same time reducing the negative tendencies in the mind. So this is very Uh, a very useful thing to do, you know, to develop these positive spiritual qualities. As I mentioned, gratitude is an emotion, and uh, oftentimes people don't um, focus on the fact that there there is an emotional aspect to the Buddha's teaching, and sometimes we get very cerebral teachings, intellectual teachings, uh, which are really uh, inspiring, but they don't go to the heart, don't go to the emotions that actually drive our lives. So the Buddha called, as I mentioned, he called this katanyuta, gratitude or thankfulness. And in one of his teachings, he said that gratitude or thankfulness is a great blessing. It's in the uh, Mahamangala Sutta. And it's included with another 37 great blessings, but this is a, a one of the great blessings too. So we can be grateful for many things, actually, uh, and it's being grateful for uh, what we've received in particular from others, from situations, from life, many uh, different things, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a little while. But it's a sense, too, just to give you more feeling for that emotion of appreciation, appreciating. Uh, I said thankfulness. And one of the phrases I use for for this gratitude, for gratitude or thankfulness, is I'm so lucky. Uh, And this is the theme we'll use in the meditation, uh, guided meditation. But it's a feeling, too, for me, 
of being blessed, you know. And uh, so this sense of being so lucky, being blessed. And we have that um, old English saying, it's a bit of an old saying these days, one should be counting our blessings, counting our blessings. So it's quite a nice uh, phrase, but it's, it's when we say counting our blessings, of course, it's gratitude. We're thinking of the things that are, are good in our lives rather than thinking of the things that are not so good and that we'd like to change, either about ourselves, others or the world. So it is, of course, as you can gather, it's an antidote to fault-finding and that mind which complains and uh, whinges about things. And uh, it's also a way that we can um, not take people or situations and, and things in our life for granted. Often we do because we live with the same people, we work with the same people. We can take them for granted and not realise how much we have to be grateful for that they are in our lives. So I'd like to tell a Nasruddin story. <laughs> and this, was a, this is an interesting story. And uh, one day Nasruddin is going along a country road and he meets a traveller on the road who says, Nothing interests me in life. I'm so bored. I'm, I'm only travelling to uh, seek something more interesting. And he complained to Nasrudin very quickly. Nasrudin grabbed his bag, his travelling bag with everything he, he needed in it, uh, his, all his belongings, and he ran off into the bush next to the road and took shortcuts to get ahead of the traveller. And the traveller was despairing and thinking, oh my goodness, everything's gone, what will I do? And then... Nasruddin came out onto the road a lot further ahead and put the bag in the centre of the road. Then the traveller, coming along, came around the bed, absolutely depressed, <laughs> distressed, came around the bed, and there was his bag, and he was absolutely overjoyed. And Nasruddin popped out of the bush and said, Are you still bored? <laughs> Are you still bored? So this is a great way to actually make for happiness and uh, gratitude in our lives and I mentioned this in a minute, is that when we think of those things in our lives that if they weren't there, if that person, you know, our partner or our children, um, our workmates weren't there, they'd gone away or died, how would we feel? And it's a great way to bring up the reality of the situation, which is that there is a lot of gratitude for these people in our lives, even though they're there day in, day out they won't always be, we won't always be um, there. <clears throat> so we really appreciate people and things when they're not there, isn't it? To, so better to do to appreciate them while they're here um, and while we are still in contact with them. So this brings up, balances the mind and brings up this thankfulness. Also, one of the things that... Uh, often undermines um, uh, gratitude or thankfulness is expectations. And these expectations can be about life, others, uh, about ourselves, and they can make us feel so ungrateful uh, when people and uh, when we and other people and things don't live up to our expectations. And often we think we deserve more than this. 
And that reminds me of a joke I read, which is a very nice joke, but it points it, it makes it point very clearly, actually. And on this occasion, two old friends met, and one looked glum, and the other asked that one, that person, what's the problem? What's the problem? Why are you looking so glum? And he said, well, three weeks ago, my uncle died, and he left me $50,000. And he said, then two weeks ago, my cousin died and left me $100,000. And then he said, last week, my grandmother died and left me half a million dollars. And the friend said, well, what's the problem? He said, this week, there hasn't been anything. <laughs> I also thought he won't have any family left if he continues this way. <laughs> and that just shows us, that's a good example of expectations, you know, these expect how they, how they make us, you know, ungrateful. And yet, you know, when you think of it, and you think of the joke anyway, he's already, you know, uh, $650,000 better off, as it were. But he can't remember that. And that reminds me, as it would of many people, what the Buddha said. He said that there were two persons who are rare in the world. And one is a grateful person, and that's absolutely true. And a person, the second one, is a person who does something for another without being asked. Now that's that's really quite special too. I always wonder if it's something the other person wanted. That would <laughs> it may not be what they wanted. So, as I mentioned earlier, so what is there to be grateful for? Well, as I said, there's so much to be grateful for, really. Even to be grateful for life, the fact that one has a body and mind which one can experience life with, one can practice um, a spiritual path with, walk the Noble Eightfold Path. That is really something. And in the context of this evening, just having this opportunity to meditate together, albeit virtual, <laughs> but it's really supportive, especially when we can do it in uh, real, uh, real, all together physically as well. But also, you know, can be grateful for the teachers in our lives, the guides, the mentors. And, you know, I think of even my high school teachers, you know, the, how much... They have influenced me, and I'm grateful for, for their uh, example in a way uh, that influenced the way I see the world in a, a more positive way, in the, a meaningful way, you could say. But especially spiritual teaching. So we think, you know, in the Buddha's context, we think of the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. We are very, very lucky to come across this, uh, the teachings of the Buddha. Most of the world doesn't get it. <laughs> So, and the reason that we can be grateful for our teachers, whether they be, you know, educational teachers or spiritual teachers, is they give us purpose and meaning in our lives. You know, they, they really provide a framework for us to look at the world and make sense of the world. It's often difficult to make sense of the world, particularly at a time like this, COVID-19, you know, things are pretty topsy-turvy. <laughs> so it's very good to have the teachings of uh, the enlightened being, an awakened being like the Buddha, that can help us put that into perspective, you know. And also we can be grateful for our health. That's something that we, we, we take for granted a great deal, actually, until we're sick. <laughs> when we regain our health, we can we soon forget how wonderful it is to be healthy. And of course, you know, for the as I mentioned before, we can be grateful for having the necessities of life. 
That's one of the things I see with this COVID-19, you know. And I think, wow, you know, it could be like the Great Depression when people were thrown out onto the streets, out of their houses, they didn't have enough to eat and all these sorts of things. And it seems like most people, most governments have handled it very well and most people have enough food, enough clothing, shelter and medicines. And we can be thankful for our relationships too. Because as I said, you know, when we live with each other, and it's the same for monks and nuns, when you live with each other, you can take each other for granted. And uh, so for our parents, our partners, our children, uh, other family members, friends, colleagues, the people we work with. And uh, so having this great thankfulness for these relationships that, you know, they strengthen our lives and they uh, give a... Uh, uh, fullness to our lives and so the other question is well why cultivate gratitude and thankfulness I hope you've got the message though because it leads to happiness <laughs> it leads to happiness and contentment and you can tell you know whenever we're thankful you can have get the feeling of mental well-being and a sense of uh, completeness you know not needing anything um, just being uh, perfectly content with things as they are. And of course, this is a great antidote to a lot of the negative emotions like depression, anxiety, all these sorts of things, you know, that are very common today. And of course, when we have developed this uh, gratitude or thankfulness, we're, we are also, as it were, building up a habit, a way of looking at our lives, which actually um, cushions us in hard times. You know, we can think in those difficult times of things that, you know, really we can be grateful for still, even though there may be something very difficult in our lives, whatever it be, whether it be a relationship breakup, whether it be, you know, cancer, uh, whatever it be, you know, one of the children dies, something like that. So this is a very useful uh, emotion to develop. And as I say, become, can become more of a habit in the mind, which is much more positive and helpful. And I was going to now tell a story of Nasruddin again. <laughs> this is a lovely story. I like this one very much. When Nasruddin, he had a donkey, you know, and he features very a lot in the in the teachings of Nasruddin, the stories of Nasruddin. And this donkey was not only his friend, but of course he was transport and vital for taking his goods to the market. And uh, one day the donkey disappeared; it just vanished. And the villagers knew how important the donkey was, and out of respect for Nasruddin, they went searching for it. They looked everywhere, but they couldn't find it. And they came back to Nasruddin, and they told him, Nasruddin, the donkey's gone. It's gone for good. And uh, that night, they heard Nasruddin in the centre of the village. And what was he doing? He was shouting out, Thank you! Thank you, thank you. And the villagers came out of their houses and thinking, he must have gone mad with grief. He's, he's so grief-stricken about the donkey, he's, he's really lost it. And they asked him, why, Nasruddin, are you saying thank you? And he said, 
I'm so thankful I wasn't on the donkey when he disappeared. <laughs> now, isn't that positive thinking? I think that's really positive thinking. It shows you sort of gratitude, how gratitude can cushion you in difficult times. And the thing, the most in, one of the most important aspects, as I mentioned a little while ago, is gratitude leads to the sense of contentment. And I like one of, Ajahn Brahm did a whole talk on it years ago called Contentment is the Fast Track to Enlightenment. And why is that? Because it, it, it leads, when we're content, we don't have a lot of desires in our minds, which the Buddha praised. And it's an antidote to wanting uh, or trying to get rid of things, another form of wanting, which is really what's disturbing the peace, disturbing our happiness. We think desire is our friend, but it really it for it disturbs us, and it also keeps us busy because to fulfil those desires, those wants, we have to do a lot. But if we're content, we don't have to do anything. Everything's fine at this moment. And when we let go a lot of desire and wanting, we'll let go too in a, to the opposite of that, which is when, when our desires get frustrated, which is ill will, anger, you know, and these sorts of emotions. So contentment is a great antidote for desire. And it is that it brings us to a stillness and a happiness, a, a, a sense of fullness, of not needing. So it allows us also to recognize connections. Because when we, are, when we are grateful, we're usually being grateful to others. We may be grateful to life. And that sense of gratitude is a real sign of maturity in spiritual terms. It also reduces that sense of selfishness, that I, me, and mine. What, you know, and if we come from that sort of position of I, me, and mine, it's a really miserable life, really. It's, it's not, <laughs> not a happy life. But if we, if we develop gratitude, we feel uh, it reduces our selfishness. And it also reduces sense of pride or arrogance too. Because we realize our life, uh, our situation in life depends on so many others. And of course, because this is a meditation evening, we, we focus on the impact on meditation when we are grateful. Because it overcomes the five hindrances. And I know uh, often Ayakima, one of my teachers, famous German Buddhist nun who passed away in 1997, she often taught before you develop, before you start the meditation, at the beginning of it, do some uh, either loving kindness or do some gratitude. Uh, think of things that you're are grateful for, thankful for, and in that way overcome the five hindrances because they are the things that block us from developing the unifying effect of the mind coming together in samadhi or one-pointedness or as Ajahn Brahm calls it, stillness. Because the Buddha often mentioned one of the preconditions for samadhi, for the unification of the mind, is happiness. And this is inner happiness. It's not the happiness we get from a nice cup of tea or coffee or a piece of cake or whatever it is. This is the happiness of the mind. And once we have developed that samadhi, then it clears the vision so that we can see clearly and it gives rise to that insight, 
which sees things as they truly are, uh, without the hindrances. This is how we can see things as they truly are. And then to develop the wisdom that liberates the mind from being born again and again. So that's, that's the purpose of this uh, gratitude. But as I say, the main thing is it brings happiness and it's high-quality happiness. <laughs> it's not the happiness of the five senses. It's the happiness of the mind. So this evening, that's what we will be uh, focusing on, and we can see how we go with that. So we can start the guided meditation. As I mentioned, it will be about uh, 45 minutes. So first things first. If you can find a comfortable position for the meditation, whether it be sitting on a cushion, sitting on a chair, um, uh, however you, you find comfortable, and also uh, a posture that gives some uh, alertness to the to the mind and to the body. So it's probably best uh, not lying down unless you can uh, not fall asleep. <laughs> It can be quite a tall order if we lie down. So the first thing is we can come into the present. We can close our eyes and come into the present. Let go of the past. The past is history and the future a mystery. Just coming into the present moment, wherever you find yourself here. Just arriving at here, here and now. The coordinates for life. Be here now. And we can arrange the body, check out the body to see uh, if the posture is comfortable and sustainable. And checking the position of the head it's nicely positioned over the shoulders. Some people like to tuck their head in a little so it extends the spine. And maybe moving the shoulders to uh, relieve any tension. Sometimes you're not even aware of that tension, actually. And being aware of the position of the shoulders over the pelvis, over the hips, sense of balance and checking out that the legs are comfortable too as they are. So I'd like you to bring to mind that I'm so lucky I'm so lucky. And to use this to reflect on the good things in your life, the people, situations, your health, the body, etc. And to get in touch with the feeling that this brings up. A sort of a warm feeling of appreciation, thanks.
and we can fill the body and mind with this feeling of being so lucky. It's a sort of warm feeling, expansive feeling. And we can reflect, I'm so lucky to have a body that works reasonably well and allows me to do so much. And we can relax the body from the top of the head to the tips of the toes with this feeling of, this warm feeling of gratitude, friendliness, warmth, kindness, starting at the top of the head, the sides of the head and the back of the head, relaxing it with this warmth. And moving the attention down to the forehead. And then down around the eyes. They do a lot of work. Soothing them with this kindness, this great gratitude, thankfulness. And the cheeks of the face. And around the mouth, the lips, the chin, relaxing, soothing, giving the face this sort of mental massage. Now moving our attention down to the neck, all around the neck, soothing it, relaxing it with this warmth, this kindness. Now I'm bringing to mind the right shoulder, starting at the neck and moving our attention along the right shoulder. Mentally massaging it, allowing its tensions or any strain to relax, to dissolve. can bring to mind the right arm, starting at the top of the right arm and taking in the elbow, the wrist, the hands and the fingers, moving our attention down the right arm, soothing it, all around the right arm, relaxing it, giving it this warmth and kindness, this gratitude.
bringing to mind the left shoulder and moving our attention along the left shoulder, giving it a good mental massage, letting go of any tension, any sense of burden in the left shoulder. And now I'm bringing to mind the left arm, starting at the top of the left arm and moving our attention down the left arm all around to take in the elbow and the wrist, hands and the fingers, right to the tips of the fingers, relaxing, soothing with this warm, kind attention, grateful attention. Now we can bring to mind the back, starting at just below the shoulders and moving our attention down the back, soothing, easing any hard or tense areas with this warm, kind, relaxing attention. can bring to mind the front of the body and move our attention down the front of the body, down the chest, the um, diaphragm area, stomach area, abdomen area, relaxing, soothing, giving this warm kind attention to any sore or hard areas, allowing them to relax with this mental massage.
And now you can bring to mind the right leg, starting at the top of the right leg and moving our attention down the right leg, all around it, to include the knee, ankle, foot and toes. Soothing, relaxing, being grateful as we move our attention down the right leg. can bring to mind the left leg, starting at the top of the left leg and moving our attention slowly down the left leg all around to include the knee, the ankle, foot and toes. Soothing, relaxing the left leg. can become aware of the whole body sitting however we find it just being aware of the whole body sitting here
we can bring to mind that I'm so lucky to have come across a spiritual teaching like the Buddha's and to have this opportunity to meditate. I'm so lucky. For something that gives, makes sense of the world, that puts things in perspective. brings peace and wisdom. To, I'm so lucky to be still breathing in and breathing out. And what we can do is infuse the breath with this feeling of I'm so lucky. So as we're breathing in, I'm so lucky, or even just so lucky, and breathing out, oh, I'm so lucky, or just even so lucky. So we can breathe in with this feeling of warmth, of gratitude, thankfulness. I'm so lucky and breathe out. And if the mind drifts off, we can bring it back but with thinking or remembering. I'm so lucky. And bring it back with this feeling, this warmth of thankfulness. Breathing it in ourselves and breathing it out to the world. I'm so lucky. When the mind, if the mind settles down, we can let go of the thought of I'm so lucky. Just be with that peace and warmth of the breath coming and going.
and uh, now we are coming towards the end of the meditation so we can expand this feeling warm feeling of I'm so lucky to include everyone that's participating now expanding it out this warm feeling of thanks of appreciation include everyone who is participating this evening. Wherever they are. And then expanding this feeling in ever-widening circles around ourselves. Going further and further with this warm feeling of thankfulness. So that we include the whole earth and all realms of existence. And we include all beings, the animals, the insects unseen beings in this warmth of gratitude, warmth of thanks And now we can bring the attention back to ourselves and we can have the aspiration or the intention to remember in future that actually I'm so lucky to bring it up, to make much of it and to appreciate ourselves, others and life and to anchor this feeling in the heart of being blessed, of being so lucky. And now we can just review the meditation and ask ourselves, how do I feel now? I feel 
different from before I started the meditation. More peaceful, more calm, more relaxed. And did I feel the feeling and warmth of I'm so lucky, of gratitude? And lastly, what caused whatever I felt to arise? slowly come out of meditation and open your eyes and relax your body. Thank you, Ajahn. I'm so lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Santa. Thank you. We do have quite a number of questions. So far, we have six questions, and some of them are quite long. All right. Just to give you some expectation. Yep. So, are you ready? Yes, yes. The first question When people is content, is it normal that desire for happiness also gone? Ah, uh, is it normal that uh, the hap- a desire for happiness is gone? Yes, because contentment is happiness. You've arrived. It's like if you have a desire to go to Paris and you are in Paris. No need for that desire. You're there. So, yes, uh, when we're content, all desires tend to go. They're, they're displaced by this feeling of, I don't need anything else at this moment. Nowhere else I need to be than here. So yes, it will. that desire will disappear. You've realized it. <laughs> That's great. All right. The second question. Dear Ajahn, when the appropriate causes and conditions are present, mm-hmm. Does an arahant experience so-called negative mind state like irritation, fear, etc.? If such mind states arise, does an arahant relate to this with attitude of non-grasping as he knows they are anatta and these emotions are allowed to arise and pass away according to their own conditions? Or do mm. this mental state do not arise at all? Right. Well, it's a, 
it, you know, it's uh, talking for about arahants is is always difficult. But you know, we we always say the Buddha says, you know, an arahant is pure of greed, hatred, and delusion. So really, the roots for negative emotions are not possible. They're not there. They cannot arise. That doesn't mean that. Uh, and the Buddha said, you know, that that he he experienced thoughts, feelings, and perceptions as they arose, as they persisted and passed away. But the feelings he's talking about are pleasant, unpleasant, and are neutral. And there is no. Um, having destroyed, and this is one of the qualities of Narahant, desire, having desto- uh, destroyed tanha, they call it, tanha kaya, there is no uh, reaction, negative reaction to the unpleasant feeling or, or, or a, a desire, a feeling of, of desire when we have a pleasant feeling and an Narahant understands a neutral feeling. So they think, they feel... <laughs> Uh, and all these things, but there isn't any grounds for that negative emotions to come up because the cause and condition's not there. Um, if there were negative emotions coming up, I think uh, a person would think, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm not an arahant. <laughs> and this is a classic way, you know, that uh, a person, like Ajahn Chah used this evidently quite a bit, uh, to... If somebody thought they were an arahant, he would say something that would really upset a person if they're not an arahant, and you know that would be the, that would be a great test. And you know you hear that uh, you've heard probably Ajahn Brahm's story of when he was in Thailand in a small monastery, and he had wonderful meditation and uh, a good insight, and he thought he'd broken through to a stage of enlightenment and perhaps arahant. And then the abbot, um, then they're having the meal of the day. He was all blissed out. And then they had food. The food in this monastery was evidently usually this rotten fish curry, very strong-smelling fish curry. Uh, and that was it with the rice and so on. And um, probably a banana. <laughs> but that day there was pork curry. And the abbot took some of the pork curry. I don't know if he took the fish curry. And then after he took it, he poured it into the other, into the fish curry, the rotten fish curry, stirred it up and passed it down for the rest of the monks, four or five monks, I think. And Ajahn Brahm said he became so angry. <laughs> and then the next moment he became so depressed because he realized, wow, I'm not an Arahant. <laughs> and so this is an easy way to tell if these emotions arise, then one's not an arahant. But an arahant will experience thought, perceptions, uh, feelings, pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. But the emotions that arise, that will arise in most people that uh, of negative emotions will not arise. They're not, there's, no, uh, there's no fuel. The fire's gone out. And that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> because the positive side is very, very strong, you know, of loving kindness, compassion, appreciative joy, and also equanimity. It's just there, you know. And it is, it's that's, those qualities come up in a mind that hasn't got those negative defilements anymore. So that's good news. <laughs> Thank you very much for that question. Thank you, Ajahn. 
The next question. I want to clarify the difference between gratitude and thank you as payment to benefit. Some people refuse to say thank you, saying that they did not receive big enough benefit. Oh, Gratitude is different. It is understanding what I have already received and Mm. being content with it. Well, that's uh, that's very much um, what this person's talking about. Is uh, you know somebody's received something and then they think they didn't get enough benefit from it, um, you know. And uh, that that state of mind, of course, is um, a fault finding mind. Uh, it's not a mind of thanks. Um, so uh, it hasn't brought up thankfulness for them. Uh, people who have really developed gratitude, the sense of thankfulness. I know what this person is pointing to because, uh, you know, the classic definition of uh, of gratitude the Buddha used is katanyu katavedi. Katan, katanyu means kata, knowing what's been done, uh, what's been done, anya, knowing, knowing it. And katavedi is the emotion the experience that arises from what's been done so this is this is gratitude and thankfulness and that will be an individual thing somebody that hasn't developed gratitude hasn't developed the sense of grat- uh, thankfulness for them you know the fault finding mind will be operating you know and when we look at society this is what's encouraged actually because if people are content and grateful they won't go out and buy all these things <laughs> they will be quite content or they'll be living with more within within their budget or within their uh, income so it's uh, it's it's something that uh, um, you know gratitude thankfulness is something we can develop and if we expect others to be thankful for the things we do for them that's a big mistake because it's a quick way to turning a positive for us into a negative. Because if other people appreciate things, that's for their benefit. That's good. And it, it's, it feels good for us too, you know, doesn't it? But if they don't, we can still be grateful for what we, you know, thankful for what we gave. We can appreciate that. And where gratitude turns into contentment, it it's not... Gratitude is a, a sort of a, is not as still a feeling as contentment. Gratitude is more active in a sense when we're reflecting on all those things that yes we have received in life. You know, uh, whether it be you know our health, uh, our relationships, our job, you know, our understanding, uh, whatever it is that we experience, and we are grateful for, thankful for. Um, and then that that sense of yeah, there's so much that you know in my life that's good, that gives rise to this feeling of contentment, which is much more steady, and that's why Ajahn Brahm says this is a fast track to enlightenment because it brings stillness, it it uh, undermines these desire, you know, and it undermines the fault finding, and fault finding is always coming from the sense of when our desire is thwarted, we're not getting what we want, and then the mind turns negative, you know. It could have been better, it gets very comparative, and so on. 
And so some people, and this is why gratitude is rare, as the Buddha said, there are two people that are rare in the world, a grateful person, a thankful person, and, and the other one was the person who does something without being asked. So it is something we can develop, but it, it is, uh, in a sense, going against the conditioning of the society we live in, because it's saying, you know, well, why be grateful, why be thankful? You can do much better. <laughs> and it keeps us on the treadmill in, in, as a consequence. So thank you for that question. I hope that sort of answers what you're, what you're um, were aiming at. I think, I think it did. Thank you, Ajahn. The next question. I have met a few homeless people who were not raised in supportive environments and have not been helped by others now. Mm. It is difficult for me to say that they should feel grateful. Mm. Should they? Well, I think it's uh, it's it's not a matter of whether they should feel grateful. It's uh, if they do feel grateful, it will bring a happiness to them, you know. And no matter what situation people find themselves in, there can be things to be grateful for, um, and that that benefits us. It benefits the. It brings that happiness to the mind, and for a homeless person. You know the things that they can be grateful for are probably you know a, another meal, you know um, maybe uh, access to a shower, um, lots of things like that. So it doesn't really depend on your income because you actually find uh, often that people, as they have more, they may be less content. <laughs> it's strange, isn't it? You think the more you have, you should be more and more content you are, but uh, it, it's not necessarily the case. And so somebody that doesn't have a lot can still be very uh, grateful in their minds for for whatever positives they feel in their lives. You know, I know of, I've heard, I haven't seen it myself, of homeless people that have dogs. And they must have that sort of, you know, I see the feeling that people have towards animals, you know, warm, warm feeling. And so they'd feel grateful, I would think, that they have a dog. I don't know how they feed the dog as well. But so, you know, there's always um, the ability to see some positives in our lives, to be grateful for some things. And, you know, I've been reading books about people's experience in even in the concentration camps, you know, the Jewish people that were uh, killed in concentration camps. And some of them did have this sort of sense of gratitude, which was just extraordinary in such a bleak sort of situation where their lives are on the line. But, you know, um, it's it's uh, something that can feed us because in the end, human beings, we all need this joy. In It's a mental joy too. It's not the happiness we get from the senses. That's all very temporary. And it doesn't really, it's not like, it doesn't feed the mind, feed the heart. So this this um, happiness that comes from gratitude, it's possible in any situation, but it gets, it would, it's more difficult in some situations, but it's possible. So thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you. The next question, mm. this audience is from Melbourne. Yeah. I would really love to be able to come in person to meditate, if possible, if 
they are available again. Mm. I'm assuming this person, mm. um, this audience is referring to MBM. Mm. Yeah. Or I don't know whether Could be BSV or BSV. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I I think it's quite possible, you know, to that we will have the uh, meditation evenings again at BSV. It's not sure um, once the restrictions are removed, which may be after the eighth of November, because even though you know these um, uh, meditation evenings online are good, it's not quite the same as being together actually, because. I know uh, from my experience at the BSV, Buddha Society of Victoria Meditation Evening, there's an energy you get from a group of people. And it's for me, it's almost quite tangible. And I think it gives a great deal of support. It's not a, you know, it's a, it's, it's something that's not a, uh, it's, it's built into the human being, I think, you know. So uh, there's an energy there. And so, yes, I hope, I hope it would be the case that we have meditation evenings uh, in in uh, together, yeah. So, mm, possible. Well, just need to wait for the the announcement, official announcement from BSV. So yeah. please follow yes. um, BSV Facebook. <laughs> That's very good. Thanks for that. Uh, yes, yes. That will that will let us know. And of course, website is bsv.net.au. <laughs> The next question, how to remove ignorance from mind? Right. How to remove ignorance from the mind. So this is what we're doing, you know, with uh, um, the meditation, uh, with contemplation. The, the way the Buddha recommended for removing the ignorance from the mind is, you know, through meditation to develop stillness. This is the mind coming together. And the reason for that is that it, for sure, when the mind is one-pointed, there's no room for the defilements, no room for um, sensual desire, no room for ill will, no room for... Uh, tiredness and uh, sloth and torpor, no room for restlessness and worry, no room for doubt. When they're gone, then we have the possibility of seeing things clearly. With When they're present, these negative states of mind, it's not possible. And when we see things clearly, then insight can come, you know. And the insights, the big insights, of course, you know, the first one, is the insight into impermanence, nothing lasts. And this is what makes a person um, uh, attain or reach the first stage of enlightenment. And the other insights that come for uh, that person too, of course, is seeing uh, dukkha, this is the truth of the unsatisfactoriness in life, that it's never it's not permanently satisfying it cannot have a lasting happiness that just stays the same and also we see because a stream entry sees non-self too the fact that you know there is no permanent me in here that may sound terrifying to some people but it's actually a great relief (laughs) because what they've seen is that ah you know the process that I take as 
I've been taking as me is actually a causal process. There's a lot of different causes that are giving rise to the experience of life and giving rise to the experience of dukkha, so the unsatisfactoriness. You know, that we are having, for instance, you know, we have this awareness, consciousness, and then this we have the six senses, you know, the senses that go out to the can go out to the world. We have the contact that's possible because of that. And then we have feeling pleasant, unpleasant, neutral arising, and then we have a reaction to that wanting or wanting to get rid of it. And then a clinging to um, some of these things we see as happiness or as an identity or a view that we have in life or um, some of the pleasures that we find in life and um, and so on. So, so this is how, you know, we uh, ignorance is replaced. Because once somebody sees the world in this way, they've mo- removed the big player, which is the sense of I and me, and also they have seen, you know, that the, this desire, this wanting, is is the cause of unhappiness. The un, uh, that's it's it's making for uh, the suffering in our lives, and also they've seen the reason that underpins all this. There's nothing permanent <laughs> in in the world in in the world. So there's not the permanent happiness. There's not a permanent me. So this sort of understanding, when one sees that, then there's nothing to really uh, desire and want so much. There's nothing to really uh, hate or be angry with so much. And because that confusion about reality, about the nature of life, is being seen through, you know, it's where that light has has come up and the darkness is being uh, disappearing. So this is, you know, where, what uh, the removal of ignorance brings. It, it brings this seeing into the sense of self. It gives us the true understanding of the nature of happiness and unhappiness. And it gives us an understanding of what beauty and uh, the unattractive are. Um, and so... All these things come when we see things clearly, and that comes from the meditation, from the calm, clear, pure mind that can see things as it re- as they really are, not as we want them to be. <laughs> that's not that's the way we usually see life, actually, uh, or don't want it to be. Um, so that's the usual way of regarding life. So once this is, this lights come on, and we've seen as the Buddha saw impermanence, you know, uh, unsatisfactoriness, and that there's not a permanent self here, there's not permanent happiness, there's not permanent self. Once they've seen that, then everything is much, much more happy, really. (laughs) Because we've understood what's going on, we understood the process, and it's a great relief. It's it's, uh, something that will bring a lot of, a lot of happiness. So I hope that's answered the question a bit about it. ignorance. How do we remove ignorance? Thank you. The next question, what is meant by Dhamma Sangani? Where can I read it? Dhamma Sangani. Yeah, I'm actually Googling. 
I think it's part of the Abhidhamma, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's Abhidhamma. Abhidhamma. It's Abhidhamma. I think it's the first book of the Abhidhamma. Mm. You can you can find that online even, you know. Um, and this the Abhidhamma is the uh, uh, the teachings of the Buddha in in a great great uh, minute detail, um, and much of it, people, uh, scholars say, comes from a later um, later um, teachers, uh, not necessarily from the Buddha, but uh, some people find it fascinating actually the Abhidhamma because. I remember when I was a lay person going to a Tibetan Buddhist retreat, and it was on the 52 types of different consciousness, which I think is from the Dhamma Sangani, actually. I didn't realize that at the time, but it was just, it was really fascinating to see the intricacy of it all. Um, and so for some people, that can be, um, you know, intellectually interesting, and maybe, I don't know about for their practice how that will go. Um, but, um, you know, people do find that interesting. Um, so I think it's up to the individual, you know, to see what benefits their practice, what brings happiness and understanding, and um, and then to use that. So, so good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. The next question. Yeah. Ooh. Are you a stream enterer? Right. Am I a stream entry? Monks can't really say what their attainments are. We can say them to other monks. And I think it's a very, uh, Ajahn Brahm always uh, points out, and I think it's very true, anybody that claims to be a stage of enlightenment, it's, 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 a, it's it's actually looking at the experience from the wrong end of the stick. They've got the wrong end of the stick because, you know, these stages of enlightenment are really stages of letting go of rubbish, <laughs> letting go of rubbish. So, so um, you know, as Ajahn Brahm says, we, we're losing a lot, not gaining a lot because gaining is what the world's about, isn't it? It's, you know, getting this, getting that getting this diploma, getting that degree, getting this certificate, whatever it is. But um, so this is not what uh, enlightenment is about. And the thing is that when these negative qualities are removed, then the mind is much, much happier <laughs> and can see things more clearly, you know, much, much more clearly. So I hope that answers the question. I can't say that I'm a stream enterer or, or not. Um, so um, that's, uh, but that's what we're all aiming for: stream entry, because this is the beginning of the stages of enlightenment, and the qualities that the Buddha said we need to develop for that, uh, to develop our ethical behaviour, our virtue, to develop our faith or conviction, confidence in the Buddha Dhamma and Sangha, but also in ourselves, to our ability to realise these teachings, to practice them to the end of the path and also he said we need to develop our learning you know and learning means we're reading teachings I would really emphasize learning the teachings of the Buddha if possible from uh, his teachings later teachers some of them very good we don't know if they're enlightened so um, but you can see if what they teach brings um, positive states and brings benefits to the mind, then you can uh, think that this is leading in the right direction. But always to go back to the source. So that's learning. 
And the next thing that the Buddha said, these are five qualities, is generosity. So this is giving, and it's such an important quality in Buddhism. And it's not only giving of material things that I mentioned earlier, it's um, also the giving we give to each other. The Buddha talks about giving, he talks about offering and sacrificing. And giving is to, and sharing is to anybody, to everybody. And it's not only material things, it's that kindness, listening to people, um, being open to people, you know, being of service to people in whatever way. So uh, giving is, is a, is, and generosity is a big area, actually. Offering, of course, is usually offering to a spiritual person, you know, a monk, a nun in the Buddhist tradition. And sacrificing, as I remember, was sacrificing the Buddha uh, uh, redefined sacrificing as any positive, wholesome act that we do by body and speech. I think maybe even mind. And because uh, he was trying to redefine, at the time of the Buddha, there were animal sacrifices, um, maybe even human sacrifices in some more primitive uh, areas. Um, so he wanted to redefine it in a very positive way. So it's a wholesome, making wholesome karma is, is a sacrifice. Not really a sacrifice, I think, brings happiness. And the last thing is wisdom. So wisdom is, uh, um, you know, developing our understood experiences, I came would say. You know, wisdom is not just knowledge, of course, it's it's actually our direct experience and understanding. You know, we build on this gradually. And the Buddha said his path's a gradual path, not a sudden path. He likened it to the to the sea, you know, that generally speaking, you know, the the depth gradually gets deeper and deeper, you know. So he likened it to that. So I hope so if we develop those things, virtue, if we develop uh, conviction, faith, confidence, whatever you like to call it, and if we develop um, our learning, our generosity and our wisdom, we're heading towards dream entry. And uh, we, we may not know that we're on that path yet, but we will see signs, you know, that we're on that path because our reactions to things will be different. There'll be more happiness and stability in the mind. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for that. Thank you. This should be the last question. All right, good, good. Yes, good night. Ajahn, since you just mentioned Sotapanna, can you please explain the difference between Sakaya Diti and Mana? Ah, right. Yes, yes, yes. Sakaya Diti is a, they they translate that as personality view, and uh, Mana is a, uh, is this uh, comparing of ourselves to others and either um, uh, thinking that we are better, we are, are worse, or we're the same, you know. Um, and the difference would be Sakaya Ditti is overcome by a stream enterer and um, so they see non-self, they see that, you know, uh, what we've, what they have been taking as themselves is a a cause and effect process um, that is what so they overcome this Sakaya Ditti personality view from seeing that seeing the Four Noble Truths of course and seeing impermanence but mana this comparing actually is at a deeper level than um, view because 
personality view, as I'm mentioning, is is a, is one level. But this is much much deeper than that. I think it's going to the level of perception, and it's abandoned um, by the person who becomes um, an arahant, the person who becomes uh, who reduces their negativity, they become a once-returner, Sakadagami, and then a person that completely abandons uh, desire and ill will, they become an Anagami. And then the path leading to an Arahant, the Arahant abandons this sense of self, uh, this, uh, this mana, this comparing of oneself to others. And uh, the uh, Buddha likened this to a f- the scent of a flower. This is what mana is like. It's still there, the scent, um, but um, an arahant completely goes beyond that. So it's the last, some of the last vestiges of ignorance too, which are part of, uh, the, are abandoned by the arahant too. So mana is a bit further down the path. But it's, it's a great thorn too, because when we compare ourselves to others, it's always, you know, that causes a lot of problems for us because we're we're comparing chalk and cheese. <laughs> Basically, we're all different. We've got all different karma that's uh, led us to be the way we are, and so comparing ourselves to other people is not really um, uh, not appropriate. It's not. It doesn't work. Yeah. We are where we are. They are where they are. <laughs> so thank you for that question. I hope that sort of uh, helped a bit with mana. Yeah, good, good. And Sakaya Diti. Thank you. We do have a number of audience thanking Ajahn and thanking the AV team for yesterday, um, the rope offering ceremony and also the ongoing um, uh, live YouTube live uh, meditation nights and also the Sunday talk. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, because it, it's good because we can be grateful for that, <laughs> thankful for that, because it it does take quite a bit of effort. And as I mentioned yesterday, for the robe offering ceremony, that was huge. You know, that was a huge effort because uh, when you do these things virtually, you don't realize how co- complex it is. When you do it in real life, it's it's not that complex actually. But it's uh, and so we appreciate you know all the work and effort that went into it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for those. Thank you. Yes, and I do agree that what you see will be just one and a half hour, but the effort that we all put <laughs> in is I don't know how many hours we put in. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Thank you. Thank and you. there is another message. Thanks, Ajahn. That's great meta feeling we share together in meditation. Oh, sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. So that's all for tonight. All right, and uh, now we can finish off. I'll finish off with the Arahang, if you'd like to join in, if you know it. <laughs> Arahang Samma Sambundam Bhagavā Bhudhang Bhagavantang Abhimadehmi Swakato Bhagavata Dhammo Dhammang Namasami Supatipano Bhagavato Samvaka Sangho Sankang Namami